There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I'm Tim McKernan, Gangster Pete, alongside as we partake in another edition of questions from the audience. Questions, stories, opinions, whatever. Send them at tmckernan at InsideSTL.com. Dot com. Everything is welcome. We take them on the TMA fan page on Facebook, if you're not a member. Uh, join in the fun and games. And if you uh, are not on Facebook, you are welcome to email your questions at tmckernan at insidestl.com. Uh, questions from the audience. We start in the email. Hi, Tim. I was wondering, as a lifelong Missourian, if you have noticed any unique local cultural changes in the last 20 years and what possible reasons for the change might be. For me, I've noticed a move to a pretty solid red state politically when it wasn't long ago that we were definitely purple. In addition, I feel like things have become more southern. I wonder if Mizzou's move from the Big 12 to the SEC might be the reason I'm more cognizant of these things. I realize that generalizing like this is painting the whole state with a wide brush that might not be fair. Again, I'm enjoying the show. That's Adam, not caller Adam. Gangster Pete, do you see it? If so, what do you think the reason is for it? I've certainly seen the ladies change their dress at Mizzou Tailgate since we joined like the SEC. Uh, like I'm good it? with it. It's no, uh, no. appealing. Do you see? Uh, do you see what he's talking about with uh, the red state, purple state comparison? Uh, I don't pay as close attention to that as you do, so I, I wouldn't be a good person to ask. Yeah, I don't know on that. I sure. I mean, I, I, I know you're not. I know the uh, Adam, not caller Adam, is not saying that it was because of uh, the move to the SEC, um, but um, I'm not sure. I, my honest answer is I'm not sure. I guess my responsibility is to give a take, no matter what. But I don't want to give a take if I don't necessarily see it. So, with that said. I don't know. I, I, I suppose the data certainly would agree with you that uh, it has become uh, a red state without question, but I don't know what has caused that. I'm, I'm intrigued as to if somebody did have a study, and I bet somebody does, as to why that has happened, but uh, I know that it has happened, and, um, and, and so I don't really have a good explanation for the why on it uh next question what is your opinion of ken burns comments now that the last dance is four-fifths complete i haven't personally watched it but listening to the show it sounds like some events were dug into nearly as much as others that were revisited thanks that's from r in the midwest gangster pete are you watching oh yeah i love it it's fantastic i uh i think Ken Burns should watch it before he comments, but then I, he also has a point. I mean, the main subject has final cut. It's not a true documentary. Yeah, I mean, by definition, it's not a documentary. And then for some, I think that has upset some people as if it's a criticism, but it's just a, it's a definition. A documentary gets a, a variety of 
of sides, and if one side has the, the authority over the final cut, then by definition it's not a documentary. But it is, for my money anyway, without question, an entertainment uh, piece and is entertaining as hell. I hate that there are only two more episodes left. I could watch this. I look forward to it every Sunday. It's, it's kind of my social calendar is 8 o'clock Central on Sunday nights uh, here for the last month, so I hate that it will be going away. Um, and the, the recent episode, I didn't, I enjoyed it still, but I thought it kind of, it's gotten, got, you know, I mean, even though it's only the second time, the first one was showing Jordan the iPad with Isaiah Thomas's comments. Now this one was showing, uh, Jordan the iPad with Gary Payton's <laughs> comments. And I'm just like, okay, now every time and he's going to laugh at the person, and I do think that there was something to Gary Payton's defense playing a role in not shutting Jordan down, but certainly, you know, limiting his performance in in Game 4. Um, and, you know, I was watching an interview with George Carl with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter, and Carl explained, which wasn't explained in, in the last dance, as to why Payton wasn't on him. And he said he had a calf injury, and we were trying to maximize his offensive production, and and guarding Jordan with a calf injury isn't necessarily optimal. But obviously in Game 4, uh, Jordan's production was not what it had been, especially in the first couple of games. So with that said, um, you know, I, I have enjoyed the hell out of it. I agree with Ken Burns in the sense that it is not a documentary. But you're right, Pete. I mean, he hasn't seen it, so I would be curious. At least at the time he was quoted, he hadn't seen it. So I don't know uh, what his reaction would be if he were to... Uh, to see it. Hey, look, it's Deebs. What up, Deebs? In. I'm a big Deebs guy. Tim, I'm very excited to hear about the PGA Tour champions bringing the Ascension Charity Classic to Norwood Hills. I had an absolute blast during the two rounds that I attended at Bell Reeve for the PGA Championship. Should be an interesting cultural experiment. Rarely do the many pro golf fans venture up to North County. Are the MILFs of West County going to flock there in miniskirts and tank tops to get classy hammered on spritzers and white claws <laughs> or will the location itself cause the mills to clutch their pearls and stay at home and will it cause fathers to forbid their daughters from exiting the house in super provocative clothing that would be a real bummer thanks that comes from deebs deebs really digging into the event he's a poet he is uh, Gangster Pete, what do you think about what Deebs has to say? Is I, I don't think the location will have any effect on anything. <laughs> so you, th you think if this were being held at Old Warson, it would have the same crowd? Uh, yeah, for the most part, sure. Um, I, I, I wish I could, like... I, and I don't know, maybe I, will, maybe I will be into it when it comes along. I don't know what the feel... First off, I don't even know if the thing's going to happen. Uh, secondly, and by, because of the pandemic, secondly... I don't know what the field's going to look like. You know, I feel like, um, who's the guy, well, you have Longer, who wins all the time, and then there's the other guy, who wasn't necessarily a great tour player, but he's killing it. Scott something? What the hell's the guy's name on the Champions Tour, who wins everything? Uh, Scott, uh, I'm typing oh, Plank? No. Uh, I watch more LPGA than Senior Tour, to be Scott honest. Scott McCarron. Oh, Scott yeah. McCarron. He's in everything. Um... I mean, you have L's now. Uh, McCarron wins. I, I mean, will couples play? I don't know. I don't know if, if guys will be participating in this thing. Um, I hope so. I've played Norwood. I was a member at Norwood back in, like, the early 2000s. So uh, I am a huge fan of the place. I hope it gains traction. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, with regard to Deeb's questions, 
Will it be, is, for example, in vogue as the PGA Championship in 2018 to drive to Norwood and get, quote, classy hammered? <laughs> <laughs> what is classy hammered? Uh, I think it just means dressing up fancy and getting hammered. And then getting drunk, yeah. Uh, did you, I assume you went to the PGA Championship, right? Yeah, I, I went almost every day. Did you see? Did you see people like falling down drunk? Uh, I did. Did you really? Oh yeah. I mean, if you're just walking or walking the course, like towards the end of the day, you definitely see some people that are passed out. Their friends taking care of them. Yeah, I, I don't know if we'll see classy hammered. Uh, I hope we do. I'm always for classy hammered. The people I that I saw hammered were, did not look real, that classy. Is that right? I just got uh, super intoxicated. Uh, I. You know, I, as, as a golf fan, I will certainly. I guess a lot has to do with what the field will look like, and hopefully, it sets a great tone from the beginning that they get a damn good field. I mean, there are some guys who just play these things. You know, they're kind of like uh, you know VJ Singh and Sun JM. They just have to play any time there is an event. So I'm anxious to see what kind of field they get for this thing. Uh, hey, want to make sure I tell everybody about thehomeloanexpert.com. I just refinanced with Ryan Kelly. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. If you're buying a home, if you're refinancing, make sure. You go to thehomeloanexpert.com. The process of refinancing could not have been simpler. Plus, it saved me all kinds of money. It's Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, a friend of the program from the beginning and also someone who can save you money immediately. Now, this is along the lines of the last dance, uh, and, and I like this question because I was wondering about it. I was talking, thinking about talking about it for the uh for the radio show, uh, Timmy Recap says, coming off the heels of Jordan's last dance, who is another athlete with a compelling career you wish had an in-depth docu-series with behind-the-scenes footage, unaired interviews, and personal accounts spanning the full career, past, present, future? Who would you like to see personally? Who do you think the public would like to see? Uh, Tiger comes to mind for me, Timmy Recap says. Anybody come to mind for you, Gangster Pete? I think Tiger's the obvious answer. Yeah. And I was thinking about this earlier a lot of the people I'd like to see already have like a 30 for 30 or something like that. So, I mean, the things I would like to see would be more personal that wouldn't have as big a wide appeal. Yeah. Like something on the 94 Mizzou Tiger basketball team or the 07 football team, Norm Stewart, stuff like that would really appeal to me, but I know it wouldn't have the wide appeal that MJ does. Right. Uh, I When I answered the question, just writing it out yesterday at Tiger, Magic Johnson, I feel like, has a hell of a story, um, and that there would be a good amount of footage from him uh, growing up and then playing at Michigan State, and then, of course, the Lakers' days, the HIV announcement on November 7th, 91, uh, the All-Star game, returning to play, returning to coach, the television show, the business magnet he has become, um, the personality. I mean, he's he's got just a... You know, at least from my perspective, who knows? I mean, his time with the Dodgers, I mean, all of this stuff, I feel like there's a lot there. Uh, I feel like that's, that's, that's one. Uh, I guess if they would want to get away from the NBA, uh, Tiger would be an option. I don't know how accessible that would be, especially a big portion of the story. I mean, who's going to talk about that uh, as far as the off-the-course dalliances of you know, leading into the uh, the Thanksgiving golf club through the SUV in 2009. Um, and then uh, the 1990s Cowboys were something that I think would have mass appeal. Um, I don't know about behind-the-scenes footage, but they had off-the-field 
issues in addition to a variety of personalities on I'd that like to team. see the off-the-field stuff for that. The Little White House, I believe. Yeah, that, called, that would be really interesting, I think. Yeah, So, I, and then I was trying to go beyond, you know, NFL and NBA and golf, and I'm like, is there something? in? Because I'm like, okay, the Yankees, like that Jeter 96 through 09 group. Um, but I just, J- Jeter's personality, I don't think necessarily has the, you know, it's just, it's rock solid, but it, it isn't necessarily polarizing. I'd like I to know think. it's in the gift basket. You'd like to know it's in the gift basket. We can talk about that. And, and then, then, then the other guys who are part of that, you know, whether it be Rivera, Posada, Bernie Williams, um, Pettit, you know, I just I don't know I don't know if that I don't know if it would work I, I I do think that because of the last dance you will now see a bunch of these and the last dance will be the standard bearer in part because it was the first and secondarily and hopefully it was the one and by that I'm saying the only one hopefully that uh, the entire country was glued to because the vast majority of the country was inside during the quarantine. Um, but I do think you will now see more of these. I noticed that ESPN is speeding up their 30 for 30s with, uh, uh, I guess, a two-parter on Lance Armstrong, um, one part on Bruce Lee, and then one part on Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and the summer of 98. I'm anxious to see what they do with that. Yeah. Because that was a story that while it was going on, it was right when I was kind of starting out. I was a senior at Missouri, and I was kind of – exhausted by it and then a decade later i'm like okay well it was like watching the wwe and now two decades removed whereas the guy who at the time was the bad guy is kind of the good guy now and the guy at the time who was the good guy is kind of the bad guy now and i'm talking about mcguire and sosa flipping roles i'm anxious to see what they have to say about it i mean mcguire's first interviews were so clearly coached but then when he would come on the show we hardly even talked about i don't even know if we did talk about it not because we were scared to talk about it it's just that it, we, he had moved on and he become a hitting coach um, and a hitting coach for a world championship team. It's something that's easily forgotten. The 2011 Cardinals hitting coach, Mark McGuire. So um, I'm anxious to see what that one looks like. Is, you know, I was thinking, Pete, like you said, like, you know, Alabama football, if you were to go beyond, you know, professional teams in, in the Saban era, but everything would be so I don't even know what the right word would be. You know, you know it would be handled. Yeah, I don't think you get the full story. Exactly. So, so then do you like have to go back to, you know, the one that they did? I think one of the best thirty for thirties was, was the one in the the U. Yeah, you know? I love that that's one. Al- that's already been done, but that's because it was kind of not whitewashed. They didn't have an image. The image was bad, so to speak. <laughs> and so they're like, fine, this is who we were. This is what we did. We don't really care. Uh, and that's why, since you had the head coach there of the uh, the Hurricanes being Jimmy Johnson, who doesn't really pull punches, if you have a Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer, and Jerry Jones, and you have Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and take your pick of the other characters outside of the big three of the Cowboys for those teams during the 1990s, I feel like you've got enough to to have people actually talk honestly you have all kinds of storylines there uh jerry jones buying the thing initially being the bad guy in dallas by whacking tom landry the team being horrible in jimmy johnson's first year and troy aikman's first year and then what they became 
and then how they feel like kind of I think St. Louis Rams fans feel that they should have had a long run as a dynasty and that um, I was watching Joe Buck interview Michael Irvin a couple days ago and uh, and I think he said you know Emmett Smith when he was a guest on the show said we won two Super Bowls because of Jimmy Johnson and we won one Super Bowl in spite of Barry Switzer <laughs> and how that all would play out I think I think you could have, I think, as a matter of fact, if I had to bet on what the next one will be, I believe there will be a next one, and I believe it'll be the Cowboys. So that is my answer uh, to that question. I heard uh, Magic Johnson on one of the post games for The Last Dance said that they got the Kobe one in production now, and he said the Magic one will be next after that. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. How about that? Yeah, I heard about the Kobe one, but I didn't know where... Where that stood, like, and so they were already were they already in post production on the Kobe one. Uh, I don't know what what state of production they're in, but he said it's on the way. They're getting they're wrapping it up, and then uh, the magic one's next. How about that? Uh, hi, Tim and Pete. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys seem exhausted trying to grind through the shows recently. My question is: Have you considered taking a break, run some best ofs, and try and recharge? You guys seem burned <laughs> out. I will say he's the MVP right now. His stories are the best. Thanks. Hunchback of On Castle. Uh, I like the question. Unfortunately, I can't really answer the question in full at the particular moment. <laughs> I'd like to think that at some point I will be able to give better perspective, at least as far as my situation um, at the moment. I don't know when that time will come, but uh, I certainly agree. I think um, I also would like to point out that there are no sports going on that we can't see each other, that, um, you know, people step on each other. Uh, and then in order to avoid people stepping on each other, I, as the host, give wide berths. And then that leads to people just talking just for the sake of talking and not necessarily saying anything. So I would agree. Uh, I think I said a couple weeks ago that this has been my least favorite time hosting the show. Um since 2007, the, the Bob Fesco era, which is not a shot at, at Bob personally, it's just it didn't work, and so it wasn't an enjoyable, and it was actually, you know, f- relative to this, work. Um, and I think that, um, you know, if and when we are back in the studio, I think you will notice that things change. I mean, I just, it's, I, I you know, we've been doing this show now with everybody in separate locations, I think for two months. I think that's how far it goes back. And uh, as I'm speaking on May 12th, I think it started in mid-May or mid-March, excuse me. Um, And it's just when you have essentially four different locations for six people, it's just it's just difficult. I I, I would think, you know, I mean, it's like watch watch Stern right now. I mean, Stern is in disarray because they'll be doing interviews with people and the Zoom will disconnect. Uh, and they'll buffer, and then it's just awkward. As the host, you're still on, but then the Zoom is, like, rebuffing, like the Brady interview. That's what I thought going into the Brady interview. Just like, ah, this... I hate that the Brady interview is going to be wasted over Zoom. And um, it's kind of how I was with with doing interviews for the podcast. You know, now we have Doug Armstrong on this week, but, uh, you know, if they're like, like Chris Prong or somebody, for example, I've been communicating with, and it's like once this happened where we couldn't have people in studio, I'm like, I don't want to waste the interview doing it over the phone. You know, now if, if Pronger were still playing and we wanted to get a quick update on what his thoughts were and it were like a 10, 15-minute interview, much different than what we had done on the podcast, 
uh, I would do that. But as far as like talking about his upbringing and significant moments in blues history and then leaving the blues and his feelings on how that went down and life after playing hockey and, uh, you know, headaches and the issues he was having and now his kids becoming great athletes and all these things. And you just can't, you can't do it. You can certainly, you can do it over the phone, but you can't do it as well. Um, so, you know, and then also, and I'm, I'm not saying this in, in, in intent to be crass at all, but if if I were to say to the radio station ownership and management, um, hey, I don't think the show is as good as it has been for the previous 16 years, and so we're going to take a few weeks off, <laughs> but please continue to pay us, uh, I don't think that would necessarily play well, and I don't think, uh, if that were the case, that they should. Uh, so I don't think that we should be expected not to work. So we're doing the best in a unique circumstance. So I get it. I understand it. I actually agree with it. But I would tell you that there are a variety. I mean, if you if you like are like going apples to apples on what the show was like in February and March, um, you know, obviously things are incredibly different as they are for anybody in the business of hosting a show, television or radio. Um, you know, there have been times where I've thought maybe to be good for like, you know, one hour for it to just be you know, a couple of hosts and then one hour for just be a couple of hosts and one hour for just be a couple of hosts, you know, to reduce the the potential of the stepping on and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, But I think, I think, I hope we are at the end of uh, the remote broadcasts where at least, like I said, six people are in four different locations. It's just a unique circumstance as it is for everybody in every industry and you're making the best of it. Um, So I would say, to say we're burned out, I'm burned out by things that I'm de- dealing with that have nothing to do with um, hosting the radio show. Way bur- past burned out on fumes, not even on fumes. Just, just I'm just kind of cashed out. Um, and uh, and th- and there have been a number of times over the last few weeks where I'm just like, this fucking thing's terrible. And uh, I'm the host, so I blame myself. Um, you know, that's why I've been like, okay, I'm going to book gas because we just need gas. We just need something, you know, otherwise it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to have a six person conversation or even three person conversation when you can't see each other and to do that for three hours at the same time. Uh, I haven't noticed like a decrease in texts or interaction. I just personally, it's not even like I take pride in the quality of the show per se, because it's just something that we're able to do. So you're not, you know, if you can hit a golf ball 300-something yards, I don't think you're like, when you do it, I don't think you're proud. Uh, but then maybe when you play with some people who can only hit it at, you know, 170 or something like that, you go, well, I guess the fact that I can hit it 300, that's, there's something there, you know. But we're just not hitting the ball 300 yards right now. And so that, because of that, uh, I don't go, well, hold on a second. Are we no longer able to hit the ball 300 yards? Well, I recognize the conditions. And the conditions are such that it is it is difficult to, to do what we have done. But if we get back in studio and all things are what they were pre-February, for example, and uh, and the show is not right, then I would go, okay, something is off. But I just don't anticipate that. Because there are still times during the show where I'm laughing my ass off. But... It's just, it's a tough spot for everybody when you're, you know, dealing with a variety of things, just like every human being is right now that have nothing to do with your job. You're doing it from home, uh, at least for me, Doug and the cat. 
and uh, and you can't see each other for something that is a show that is really kind of fast-paced, and then you wind up stepping on each other, and so it's just, you know, it's just it's 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 uh, it's it's just different. There's no other way to say it. But I mean, I would I would imagine I think everyone. Uh, whether it be people on the show or people listening to the show, recognize the situation for what it is. It's just a unique time. And um, and, and, and if this were something like, okay, you're not going to be able to be in studio for a year, for example, just using that as a then we would set up a plan. Then I would, then I would, I think what I would do is uh, I would do interviews during the day and we would throw to those. I would maybe reduce the number of people talking on the show, you know, just to make sure that we don't step on each other. Uh, you know, I try now to direct my questions specifically to people, um, so that it, you know, doesn't have the awkward pause and then both people jump in at the same time. Cause I mean, that's, that's, like I said, it's on me, I'm the host of the show. So, um, but like I said, I am, I'm, I'm navigating some things off the air that, um, that, uh, are playing or like, and sometimes I'm navigating these things off the air during the show. So that's just uh that's just the reality of it and um and you know I, I i think as soon as we're all back in studio i think you're going to notice the thing go back to what it was and whether we have sports or not i don't think it's going to matter i just think you'll notice some of the the quickness that makes the show to me anyway that makes the show uh, will return because the you know stepping on each other will will be reduced it won't be eliminated but it will be Reduced. Gangster Pete, any thoughts as a producer extraordinaire and then also a listener for a number of years before becoming producer extraordinaire? I'll bite my tongue on the outside circumstances. Uh, I think all the problems just stem from... You are aware of the outside circumstances. Yes, I'm aware of the outside circumstances. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Um, Yeah, I think all the problems stem from just being in different locations. It's hard to be quick and snappy when you don't know who's going to talk next. There's no, no visual cues. But I will say I've run into several people that have said they've really enjoyed the shows lately. So it's not like it's a complete dumpster fire, but it's not, yeah, no, it's, I, not I, that, I, it's not as high quality as we're used to producing. Yeah, I agree with I've had a number of people say that and I'll go, God, I'm glad that people are. But I think for those people, it's like an escape. It's a familiar escape. So right. even if it's not at the level that, you know, and I don't know. I mean, it's not like Doug and I ever talk about the show ever unless we're talking about things that we're dealing with off the air. <laughs> That's the only time we talk about the show. We don't go. <laughs> I mean, never, actually, never do I go, boy, Doug, you cracked me up. And I mean, it's just never happened. <laughs> it's just like we do what we do. And that's that. Um, so that that doesn't that doesn't go on. Um, it's it's more. um you know, I just I just know that, you know, and I think that's what I'm talking about, like, with 2007. I'm used to being able to to play, you know, fast, so to speak. Uh, and play fast means, you know, get the ball in people's hands and the ball moves around the perimeter really quick before we get to the basket. Uh, and, and I know where everybody is on the floor. And even though for the most part I know where everybody is on the floor, sometimes I don't. Sometimes somebody has been disconnected and I didn't know it. Sometimes... Uh, somebody was talking and or was planning on talking and, you know, something happened where there was just confusion as to who was talking or who was paying attention. So considering the circumstances, um, I'm glad that some people uh, still think it is a familiar escape. But as far as the quality goes, I mean, listen, it, it's it's just and then it's like, well, then get guests on, you know, and it's like no matter. And you see the text inbox, Pete. No, you can't. There's there's no topic that that wins. 
Yeah, you know, what do you like, want to oh, talk about? Pete, your fucking sex advice, you know, stop going to those. Oh, God, you guys are talking sports. There's no sports going on. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, God, Iggy's telling stories again. I've already heard this 30 times. How many times do you have to tell you here? Plowboy, shut up, you know. Um, and I could tell stories, too, and Doug could tell stories, too, and the cat could tell stories. The reason why Iggy's stories, here, let's, let me lay this out psychologically. Iggy's stories work because he is telling stories of his life, but everybody can feel better about their own lives when he tells his story so it doesn't come off as a brag. And therefore, it's brilliant, but it's unintentionally brilliant because it's real, which is wonderful. And he doesn't give a fuck, which is really probably the most important part about it. I can't, I mean, I, like I told the story of the Joe Buck podcast. Um, I think on an episode a couple weeks ago, and I had somebody go, well, that was great that you spent time bragging about dude. I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I mean, that was a story. I don't know what to say. But it's like, I guess I'll talk, about, I'll like just make shit up about living in an apartment complex and, you know, smoking meth behind a dumpster while, <laughs> you know, fucking burly women. I don't know, I, I mean, but that's not what I, that's not what I did. <laughs> so I can't tell the stories. But Iggy's stories, and, and on top of it, Iggy doesn't, Iggy doesn't, which I agree with him, by the way. I don't see anything wrong with it either. Iggy doesn't see anything wrong with this. This is his life. He's not saying, hey, I think everybody should go down to hedonism and in, and participate in, in the activities at hedonism. This is his life. This is what he likes. Um, but they but they certainly don't come off as a brag. They just happen to be his life stories. Doug and the cat have to mind their P's and Q's because of the TV thing. Um Gangster Pete is not particularly active on the air, although uh, you certainly have a unique approach when you do appear on the air, which I think is actually, you're kind of like the heel who people are cheering for, uh, <laughs> I've noticed. The heel character people are cheering for. And then the Plowhawk kind of has the same thing going with regard to uh, to Iggy. He just doesn't have, you know, the years of experience. I mean, Plowhawk's 30, 31, Iggy's in his 60s, and... You know, I mean, obviously he has more life experience. So that's that's the key. Can tell stories, but they're going to come off the wrong way because some stories will come off as brags and Iggy stories. These are his life stories, but, you know, like when he talks about hooking up with Deb or Sue, people don't go, God, you're bragging. They go, oh, they just picture, you know, they don't picture, you know, some vixen. They, they You know, they don't picture Kendall Jenner. They picture like, you know, a bulkier woman in her 50s and, like, you know, a bunch of bulky, drunk guys in their 50s and 60s, <laughs> and it's just kind of grotesque. So it, that's, that's, what makes, that's what makes the story. So Iggy is absolutely, without question, the number one star of the last two months of the show. But I would tell you Iggy has been one of the most important elements of the show since he rejoined it in 2016. Um, it's just since we're all in this weird spot right now, uh, that when he comes on and starts telling stories or giving takes that are just ridiculous, but he really believes them and it's great, uh, that it, that it, it helps because it's, it's just, it's, it's, as I always say, it's a, it's instant offense. Um, let's see what we got here. Matt Carpenter statistics question for the <laughs> time being. I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on that one. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Uh, all right, a couple more questions here on questions from the audience. Uh, I want to make sure we thank Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies for being supportive of the podcast online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. His phone number, 
for those of you who would like to give him a call is 314-889-0503, or you can go online at evergreenftl.com. Mark Hanna with Evergreen Wealth Strategies helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. His name is Mark Hanna, and he is someone that I know and trust, and I recommend to our audience Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, especially during this time in our history. You want to have somebody you can lean on. You will feel better if you give Mark a call. Go online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. He is my insurance agent, 314-961-4800. Or go online at carltoninsurance.net. That's carltoninsurance.net. Net. I switched to James Carlton. I recommend you do the same. State Farm is returning $2 billion in dividends to their policyholders. It's unprecedented and much needed for many families in our area. For those families that haven't been significantly impacted by this crisis and are willing to donate all or part of their dividend, James Carlton State Farm is willing to match any donations up to $100 to the COVID-19 Regional Response Fund. Please email james at carltoninsurance.net. If interested, it's James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. All right, two more questions here on the Tim McKernan Show. Good afternoon. I have a few questions about online poker, more specifically online poker on Bovada. I myself play differently online than I would in person, so I'm more interested in your answers that revolve around online play. In general, what is your strategy for tournament play with, let's say, 800 or more participants? Do you adjust your play style the later it gets in the tournament? For some background, I usually play large tournaments that range from 10 to $30 for entry. I play very tight and try to capitalize on good hands. I've noticed, though, that any time I make it to the later rounds and there's 100 or less people left, players seem to go all in more. I've found myself multiple times watching other players double or triple up by going all in, and then suddenly I'm low stack at the table, which results in me changing how I play and me exiting quicker than I'd like. If you notice this behavior in the later rounds of tournaments, I'm having trouble trying to articulate this email, so feel free to elaborate or go any direction you'd like involving online play. Thanks. That's from the Pontoon Beach Lifeguard. So with regard to my experience on Bovada, and it's almost been a decade since I've been able to play on PokerStars, so we're going back a while. Um, I also feel like, and I don't know how the structures differ, but I also feel like that with Bovada... I feel like, I don't have data here, so this is this is straight feel. I feel like you find yourself in a spot where you have to go all in. It isn't, It isn't. do you want to go all in? It's the math. Um, God, what is that number? Is it the M? Is that the number that, how many you, uh, blinds plus antes you have to go, how many orbits you have to go around? And then you're in a spot where, I think that's, I can't remember, but it shows how much I've been playing. Uh, and that is, that's what the total is. And then you have to, once you get to a certain spot, you have to shove. So what, what my advice would be, and I found this with Bovada tournaments is I will build up. It's almost like, it's kind of like can be child's play in a way in the early stages of tournaments, build up a huge stack on Bovada and God, I feel like it happens more than 50% of the time. So much, I feel like it happens three quarters of the time. Um, and then, then I'll wind up, then I'll just see it withering away. And you go, God, I was, you know, in the top 10, and, and I wound up finishing 50th. What the hell happened? Or something like that. And I think the reality is, and if you lay out the math, and you were to count up, you know, let's say you played, just for the sake of it, I mean, I realize this is aggressive, but $130 tournaments. So now we're at $3,000 
worth of entries. And for that $30 tournament, um, first place is greater than $3,000. Second place might be greater than $3,000 with the size of the fields they're getting. Um, and some of them can be even higher than that. It depends on you know certain days of the week, like Sundays, they have bigger. That, yes, many a time when you go all in by shoving with, you know, I don't know, ace-jack suited in the cutoff position, the position to the right of the button, um, you know, or, you know, calling with sevens, you know, something that's, you know, could be ahead, but even if you are ahead, there's, you know, you're best most likely anyway in a flip position unless somebody shoved with twos, threes, fours, fives, sixes. And that's, you have, my, my, my point is this, you have to open up your range. You have to open up your range. So what you were doing in the first X stages, X levels of the tournament, you have to adjust. So that which you were doing to get to the final 10% or so of the field, you can no longer do. You have to alter your play. That's my view. Now, maybe there'll be somebody who kills it who goes, no, that's not true. I just, I mean, my experience, the blinds go up so quickly you're not in a position, and the Annies, you're not in a position to just sit there and wait for aces or wait for ace-king or wait for queens. And even if you get it in with queens, the only way you're getting called is, I guess there's a chance somebody calls you with, with you know, I mean, certainly, as I was saying, somebody can call you with sevens, but most likely it's, it's a jacks or tens situation or an ace-king or an ace-queen or an aces-kings spot i suppose the mathematical phenomenon of queens going up against queens could happen point being you got to gamble you know and i think i think in my early years of playing poker both online but certainly with the time commitment and the significance of world series of poker events in las vegas and not even main events i'd get so caught up in not busting that i wouldn't play the game the mathematically optimal way to play it uh, which is a losing strategy you have to be willing to die. You have to be willing to die. If you are going to be a winning player, a winning tournament player, you have to be willing to die. You have to shove with big draws. Uh, you have to, you know, follow your intuition on a player's playing style. If you've been taking notes on the player, if you are playing live, I know that wasn't your question, and you recognize this player is loose or this player is tight, uh, or you picked up a read, whatever the case might be. And you might be wrong. Plenty of times you're going to be wrong. Um, but even if you're wrong, you still can wind up winning the hand. And even if you're right, you can still wind up losing the hand. And so that's what I've, you know, I, it, just at this point with, you know, with with a two-year-old and speaking to what Pete and I were talking about a little early on, everything that I'm tending to off the air, to sit down and set aside, you know, like what would be, I guess, about, you know, I'd get done at maybe 1 in the morning or 2 in the morning central if I were to play that big tournament that's on Bovada every night that I think at this point is getting, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in prize money. Uh, I just don't have the time to do it. But if I did, you have to alter your strategy. And from my standpoint, um, that is the thing that I think separates people who can do well early in tournaments from becoming winning tournament players. And I would say that based on my own personal experience. You have to continue to uh, be comfortable loosening up your range. The difference is when you're doing it, say, in the first five levels of a tournament, and you can raise in middle position with 9-7 suited or something like that, 
and then you know play it out uh you don't have that luxury if you only have 30 big blinds you're messing around with that now all of a sudden you're messing around with you know uh, a big percentage of your stack you can't do it and i feel like and again it's a feel thing i feel like with bovada um you get to the later sturdy stages of a tournament and it just becomes a shove fest and you can go from first to you know bottom 10 percent of the of the people remaining in a couple of hands um and I, I don't feel like that's the way that it was with poker stars. And I guess maybe if I'm trying to figure out, you know, again, taking myself back nearly a decade, it's because those poker stars tournament were so, those tournaments were so huge with so many people. Uh, and I'm talking about tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that, that you know, that the, the structure would allow for not having to shove as early as I feel like I have to shove if I'm playing Bovada tournaments. But, I mean, I've played, God, if I've played 10 Bovada tournaments in the last two months, I'd be surprised. I came back from Florida and, and played a little and played on Twitch. But even then, I was more focused on interacting with people on Twitch than I was with the poker. Uh, I will say this, for those of you who are interested in getting back into it, it was noticeable to me uh, how soft the games were at the time. And by that, I mean how... I don't want to say easy because that wouldn't be fair, but um, how you could just tell that the, the fish were back in the pond and things that I'm like, okay, there's no way that this move is going to work. And then it would work, and I'd go, oh, my God, this is just not – This is is this because people are at home and bored and playing poker? And I think that's what was going on. But either way, the worst player in the world can beat the best player in the world if all the chips get in beforehand, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and – one of the great tells to me that you're playing against somebody who is, you know, somebody you want to continue to keep playing against because they don't get the game is, well, I mean, I won. And it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, I had, you know, ace-king, and you called me with king-jack, and a jack came on the turn when we were all in, and you, by definition, won, but you called off your stack with king-jack. It was the wrong move unless you thought I had king-ten or you thought I had queen-jack, you know. So... That's and I and I wonder how much of that is going on on Bovada right now. That kind of mindset, um, you know, results oriented. But either way, you have to loosen up. You have to be ready to die and go. Okay, this guy's shoving. I'm in the big blind. He's in the small blind. We have about the same amount of chips. He just shoved. I have pocket sixes. The chances of him having pocket sevens or greater and shoving here you know it's just it's less than 50 percent i think we would probably agree it's 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 substantially less than 50 percent is it possible of course it's possible but again then that goes back to game theory and and you you got to call it you don't want to call it listen it's you want to you want to get it in with aces every time you want to get in with the nuts every time but you got to do it and it's not fun uh it's not as fun as the early stages when you can you know kind of play magic so to speak with the hands but uh that's that's the way that you win at tournaments it's not the way you win at cash games it's the way that you win at tournaments and you got to do it it's not comfortable and i agree with that and i think the people who are winning on bovada understand that at a certain point you recognize the number of hands people are playing tightens up because they're getting close to the money and that's when you hammer and by that i mean you get aggressive power poker that's when you got to, Gangster Pete. You got you got to take advantage of the people wanting to just cash. Yep. 
that's that's what you have to do. And you can spot it, especially in live tournaments, especially in world. I was one of those guys when I cashed in one of the World Series events. It, I mean, it was it became a joke at the table, but I had like I literally had like three chips I was rubbing together just to get into the money. I, you know, um, but that was the way things played out that day. And I'm like, screw it. I've gone two days. I'm just going to cash just so I can have my first World Series of poker cash. Um, you know, at that point, it's not about winning. So take advantage of that. Spot the people who you're like, this guy's all of a sudden folding everything because he's wanting to fold into the money. Take, take a look at the people who are using the time bank because that tells you they're trying to slow down play to get into the money. Those are the people you want to hammer. And then if those people all of a sudden come back over the top to your raise, but you noticed a couple hands earlier they were using the time bank to try Watch to fold their way. Now you know what I'm talking about, Gangster Pete. So those are the, I mean, again, you can't see people, but these are tells uh, with online poker. But like I said, with Bovada, it's so, even if you get to the final table, you're so, it's just, it's just, it's shovey. That's, that's a word that I haven't used in probably close to 10 years because I haven't played as much as I used to, but it's shovey. And I hate shovey poker because the skill element of it is reduced exponentially. But one of the skills is having the balls to do it. You got to do it. It's part of the game. You've got to be willing to go, okay, you know what? He shoved here and I've got I've got sixes, you know, there's you know, more like more likely than not, I'm up against, you know, ace eight, ace two, you know, possibly I'm up against, you know, king, queen, whatever. You know, you gotta do it. You got to do it. And and because it didn't work doesn't mean that it was wrong. Uh, and that's that's the thing that you have to train yourself to understand. And and I'm in a way I'm talking to myself. I remember telling myself this when I was playing in the World Series of Poker main event, that you got to be ready to die. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I've got the nut flush draw and I can come back. I remember them. This was this was just a few years ago, and I know I can shove. And we're only on the flop. And I know it's. I remember talking about the same with Joe Strauss, as a matter of fact. And he goes, I really wish you would have shoved there. I mean, you know, the guy's probably going to call, but you got the nut flush, right? You got to take these stands, and you do. You know, you're, you can't win. I mean, Jamie Gold, if this is really getting into the poker nerd stuff, people know I'm rattling off World Series of Poker main event winners from 2006. But he's a guy who had the deck hit him upside the head, and by that it means he just got great cards and, and he won. But that's not the way that the game works, and so you have to uh, – loosen up and either loosen up with your calls or loosen up with with your 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 raising and your you know your moves after the flop and after the turn if it gets there and certainly be willing to fire a final bullet if you can if you've got it priced right uh on the river and that'll put put the man to the test as they say put the man to the test so i could get i could get nerdy on poker even though i'm not nearly uh as in tune with it as I used to be. Final question here, and before we go to the final question, Design Air Heating and Cooling is a wonderful sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show podcast online at designairservice.com. Uh, Design Air Heating and Cooling. I am a client. I recommend you become a client as well. It's designairservice.com. Uh, the cat's a client. Doug is a client. I'm a client. Seth Goldcamp and his family have been taking care of St. Louisans since 1904. I recommend you become a client as well. Design Air Heating and Cooling. Designairservice.com. All right, final question, Gangster Pete. We're going to go deep here. Tim, and, and we both agree that we have not read this before. There's only one way we could have, <laughs> and it would have been last week's because it was sent on Thursday, April 30th. And so if we would have read it, 
it would have been last week's. And I really don't remember it, but this could be super embarrassing. I suppose you can always edit it out, of course. Um, but we, we read this and said we had not discussed it yet. Gangster Pete, you're in agreement? I'm in agreement. All right, here we go. Tim, a Gallup poll. Yes, an actual Gallup poll shows that Americans who report belonging to a church, synagogue, or mosque is at an all-time low, averaging 50% in 2018. I assume that this rate has continued to decline in the past couple years. This probably comes to no surprise to you or the questions from the audience listeners. If the same devotion has been transferred to something else, where are people spending that time? My thought is that religion has manifested itself in a different way. Conservatism, environmentalism, and liberalism are the new religions. Time is spent preaching viewpoints and judging others for not agreeing with them. Not saying that all religious people are this way, but this has been a pretty prevalent issue with religion. My premise is not that religion prevented a divide. However, the time and energy people spent devoted to religion has now focused to politics. This has led to the ever-increasing political divide both in and across parties. What role do you think the reduction of religion has played with the political divide in this country? Thanks, that comes from Tucker, not Caller Tucker. So we have Caller Adam, not Caller Adam, Tucker, not Caller Tucker. Gangster Pete, your thoughts? I mean, I don't think just because the attendance at a church or synagogue is decreasing means they necessarily are throwing that energy into politics. I think uh, more likely it's just the abundance of information out there makes some of these religions and things harder to believe in because you know more science, there's more science out there, more information. I really agree with the first thing that you said. Um, and so, and what happened in this email, in my opinion, is something that I try to avoid myself, but I'm sure I do often, which I probably may do in uh, this interview. And that is introducing a premise and then building the remaining portion of the question or answer off of a premise that is a hypothesis, that is a premise. So in this case, uh, that would be, if the same devotion has been transferred to something else, where are people spending that time? So that's operating on the assumption that that devotion has been transferred to something else, and I don't see it that way. I simply see it as being a decrease in religion, which is exactly what you, I think, Pete, were saying. Yeah. Um, and so I don't see it as people going, okay, well, I'm no longer, um, you know, a, a passionate Christian, Jew, uh, Muslim, Buddhist, take your pick of whatever. Uh, I am uh, turning my attention to following conservatism, following liberalism. I don't, I don't see it that way. And I see it secondarily, Pete, the same way you do. I think people just are no longer as religious. Um, I think from a Catholic standpoint, for me personally, um, you know, the scandals of sexual abuse in the church, um, you know, played a role in me moving away uh, from what I was brought up as, which is Catholic. But, you know, I think to to use that as the only reason would be disingenuous. It's more about just kind of playing out the the hand with regard to religion in general and going oh okay well there are billions of people in the world and a large percentage of those billions uh are religious but they see things incredibly differently with their respective religions but it all kind of goes back to afterlife which for me is what i think was the birth of religion how to explain what happens after we die um, as I always say, anytime this topic comes up, I don't know. 
I certainly do not pretend to know. And um, with regard to religion, um, with regard to what I think is the case, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, and by that I mean, I just think it's over when it's over, and that's that. So, certainly, I hope I'm wrong, at least on the prospects of whatever would lurk after uh, in the afterlife being something that would be a positive. So, with, with that all said, um, I don't see it the same way as you do, Tucker, uh, slash not caller Tucker. Um, certainly, people are... Um, Again, it, it kind of goes to if, if you're looking for it, you can find it with regard to arguing about politics. Like I'm just like off the fan page now. I'm off it. Welcome to the Meet club. <laughs> I know. I'm not, and, it's, and by that I mean I'm not like down on the people on the fan page per se. It's just, it's, and I don't, and I don't know what I, and listen, I mean, I, I, I created it. Uh, I created this version of it anyway four years ago. It's, it was May of 2016. And, it's just, it's, it's shit, I don't know, 90% let me, you know, act like I'm not a Republican, but here's some new information that will benefit my Republican argument, or let me act like I'm not a liberal, but let me present this new article that makes it, benefits my liberal. It's just, it's very transparent, it's very obvious, uh, and it's, it's 90% COVID-related politic talk, and I just, you know, I've gotten... Some disturbing hate mail. I mean, I guess all hate mail is disturbing. Kind of more on the holy shit hate mail. Um, and it's not the reason I stopped talking about it. Um, cause it's not like I'm, I've stopped talking about it, but it's just like it's so off the rails. And this is what this was. I don't think was fan page related. I think this was uh, probably TMA listener related, I would have to guess. That it's just you, you really can't have a conversation about it. Um, and the amount of I told you so is going on right now when the thing isn't over um, is it's just I, I'm not I'm not I'm not on board with I told you so on like a discussion regarding bringing in a reliever in the seventh inning, much less something that is impacting uh, people's lives, whether it be health or financially, um, <laughs> mentally. Take your pick. There and are so people it, spiking the ball right now. Like you're right. All over the place. And I'm just so. I don't know. I, th I think also kind of going back to, uh, what was it, the Hunchback of On Castle, the, the other reason why, and I should have said this in my answer with regard to the show, is that I have things I want to talk about in a major way. And the show usually, for the, the number of years we've been doing it, has been a place where I've been able to do that. Because um, even if it's like something Doug and the Cat are uncomfortable with, they just don't participate, which is totally cool, you know. Um, but I can talk about it because I don't have to, you know, worry about the TV stuff. And I, I can't talk about the stuff going on that, you know, Pete is familiar with that I make reference to, the off-the-air stuff. Um, I mean, I guess I can, but it wouldn't be in the best interest of what we're working on. And, um, and then I, I, I'm, my mind is certainly on all of the things, and actually what I'm working on off-the-air off is tied into what's going on right now and with the pandemic. And I just don't want to talk about it, I because I because I, I, I can't because we we just things start getting said that are just you're just like wow that's not true but I but what do I do do I I mean do I dress somebody down for saying something's not true and then it becomes an argument over what's true, and I can't I can't engage so not only are we in a spot where um, we don't see each other so we don't have the the physical cues on when to talk and when not to talk, it's like what do I talk about because the things that are like so 
important to me at this particular moment, I can't talk about. Again, I can, but it would be bad to do so. And that's tough. That's a, that's a tough spot. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just trying to explain it to the people who care. And if you're and listening to you know 90 minutes of a podcast that I'm hosting, in addition to the radio show, you obviously care. You might fucking hate me uh, and be a hate listener, but at least you're getting an explanation. And then you can spin it as to how I'm whatever the bad guy. But uh, that's that's really what's that's really what's going on. Is that I mean you know Pete, you don't see me, but you know I'm answering texts and emails. All while trying to host the show, um, the pandemic is certainly you know. I mean, and, and that's the thing. In March, and I guess part of April, I'd have to go back and then find out when. I mean, I would never go back and listen to all of the shows, <laughs> but there was a time at some point where I'm just like, okay, this is now. It's gotten to a point. I remember saying on the radio, I just don't get how people are seeing this as being a political thing. Like, and I don't know if it wasn't at the time or if I was just really naive at the time. I said that on here many times too. What's that? You said that, or we've said both that? of us have said that. Yeah, well, I know that you said. But I remember you saying in March that you're incredibly bored by, and this I know I can picture where you know being in in the office in Florida. So I know it had to be pre March 27th, and I think it was closer to mid March. The topic of uh, of it being political really bored you, and I agreed with that. And I said, but the topic itself does not. But now I feel like everything having to do with the topic is political. And and therefore, it's like you can't even, you know, it's like, yeah, this doctor said that. Well, you know, and it's just like, all right, we can't we can't talk about it, you know, and it's it's tough. But then at the same time, I'm so and I have to tell you this also, you know, I I, I don't know. I don't know what what I'm I mean, as far as like what, what what I'm watching on television, I don't know what is real. When I'm reading, I feel confident it's real. But maybe I'm wrong on that, too. Again, when I'm reading reports, not reading opinion pieces. But even, I have to tell you, you know, uh, and I don't know if I would be able to pull it up. Yeah, I, I, uh, this morning, uh, reading the New York Times. Uh, and by the way, I read the Wall Street Journal as well. But I just, I remember reading this, and this is something, so you're motherfucking me for reading the New York Times, conservatives, right now. Um but um, it was something along the lines of Dr. Fauci, as we speak, uh, at least he was, uh, testifying like via Zoom um, on Capitol Hill uh, regarding, you know, uh, what would he, what he said would be, quote, needless suffering and death if the country opens prematurely. Um, but the way they titled Dr. Fauci, and this is in The New York Times, uh, widely, something along the lines of widely acknowledged to be the voice of trust or something throughout this whole process. And I go, whoa, you know? Yeah. I mean, and some people might go, oh, you're really looking for it there. And I go, ah, I don't know. I mean, let's say that you're, you know, you really buy into President Trump or, or even if you don't buy into President Trump. And I think there are a large number of people who don't but still think that the the country has overreacted and or underreacted to the need to keep the economy going. And so I, I, so I don't think it's as simple as one or the other. Um, and, and you go, yeah, I mean, okay, so you're, you're propping kind of subtly Dr. Fauci up with the description as opposed to giving his role. And now you're, now you're, you're asking us to buy into a premise 
and maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I mean, I see the, like how can I complain about Fox News or CNN doing this stuff with the headlines? Um, that you know that, uh, and then and then not call attention to it when I'm reading that which I think is credible, and and that is the written reporting. Like I'm looking as I'm sitting here now. Uh, CNN's headline: Fauci vaccine more likely than not within a year or two. That's great news. That's outstanding news. Um, you know, at the same time, <laughs> within a year or two is not around the corner, but it's good. It's a headline that is not spinning. See, I, w- I, I would have expected to turn around and read the headline. It would be vaccine uh, not for at least two years. And just by doing that, it changes the tone. And those are the things that I observe that turns me off. I don't know what it is that turns off the average uh, news consumer. And maybe I'm the average news consumer. Who's to say that I'm above or below? But uh, having gone to journalism school, um, not that that makes me an authority on it, but just kind of knowing what we were taught then, I see these headlines, and these headlines are, you know, they're confirmation bias headlines and or designed to, you know, meet their audience's preconceived notions of a topic. So I'm surprised, actually, to see this CNN headline, which I would say is actually a positive. Um, There's a headline that says that you'll still be homeschooling your kids this fall. That's sending my group chats batshit. What's that? From the Fauci thing. He said Uh that you'll still be homeschooling your kids this fall, and it's uh, causing rifts on my group chat. Oh, really? What, like people just can't believe that that's the case? Yeah, there's people jumping on. you have the Breitbart guy in there. Is he losing his mind? Yeah, well... Yeah, he's our, he's been off the Fauci train forever. He's got all kinds of conspiracy <laughs> theories that he's involved with the China lab and stuff. Like, well, I, I got to tell you crazy. something. I usually I'm kind of like hip to where it is, <laughs> and I've had some people I've communicated with who I thought were just kind of like you know, you know, in the bell curve, like a residing in there and not take your pick of whichever extreme, and then all of a sudden. They'll send me, you ought to watch this video. I'm not saying I agree with it. And, then I'll, and it's like the things that YouTube has had to take off the right. site. Like, <laughs> My boy oh, sent that video. I was like, yeah, I'll watch that a couple times later. <laughs> yeah, you have to find it now. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. So that that actually, I think that is, that's wearing me out. Because is hosting TMA <laughs> yes. is like, I have things I really want to talk about. And I'm at my best, I think or my least worst, my least bad, <laughs> when I'm just talking and saying what's on my mind and here it is and you might like it, you might not like it, whatever, but now you know what's going on. And I like to think, I think, I think, maybe this is me being in my own little world, that even the people who hate me believe that I am telling the truth. I think that's the case. Yeah, and you, you give well-thought-out opinions, so even if you disagree, you can see where you're coming from. God bless Gangster Pete. I appreciate that. But when we wind up getting into a spot where we're debating, and so if I were getting into the stuff, the off-air stuff, uh, that, I mean, there's really nothing. I mean, even though I know if and when stuff happens, that people debate things, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I mean, I've seen things, numbers that, you know, I know you haven't. I don't, like, no one has. Uh, and yet, but that's that's part of the deal. You, I mean, I've already been through this stuff before. You know what you're getting into, you, you know, when you sign up for it. You can't complain about it. It's like like getting bad beat out of a poker tournament. Oh, you didn't, you know, you're not guaranteed that your hand getting in good is going to win. That's the risk of playing the game. Um, with regard to talking about uh, the pandemic, it becomes like 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 if I'm going to talk about something, I make sure that I give the source. But then I like if it's the New York Times or the Washington Post 
or Fox News, I try to find somebody other than that because I know that that automatically carries a correlation that a group of people will automatically say it's not true because it came from that source. See what I'm saying? Um, kind of like when I was reading Sean Doolittle's tweets today and then somebody responded right away to Sean Doolittle giving his own opinion was saying, well, immediately once you decided the Washington Post study, I immediately, you know, clicked off. You know, that's <laughs> the thing. It's like you can't. So what do you do? You know, you can't win. So people already, you know, they, I mean, how many people's opinions have changed? And then there are some, by the way. I got, I got one today, but it's just it's, it's at this point I'm not going to go into it. But who was of one opinion on the pandemic and now it has changed. Um, but my premise being, you already know where people are based on who they support politically. And that to me is, it's awfully boring. And also, God, doesn't it just speak to how disingenuous the discussions are? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. And I think that's what, I think that's what frustrates me. So I do feel like questions from the audience is, is like my outlet because I do talk, um, more, but still not really going into the pandemic and in, in specifics on it anymore, but um, just because I, you know, it's, it doesn't become, and while people might be listening and go, well, that's not true, or I hate that, or whatever, I don't see it in real time, and then it doesn't, like, throw me off what I was talking about with TMA. Um, but either way, with TMA, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a monster issue, is that there are things I want to talk about that I can't talk about, and when I am, like, gag-ordered, so to speak, and that's not what's going on, obviously, uh, but I just don't think it's in the best interest to talk about these topics in a public forum at this particular moment. Uh, that it, it is a it's it's difficult to uh, navigate. So hopefully, at the very least, it helps explain it. Um, with regard to the question on how polit- political parties have replaced uh, religion, I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way at all. I mean, uh, I really I, I just don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't even know if I see it like. I mean, I'm sure it certainly happened to an extent, but I just don't, I don't see somebody who who was like, you know, evangelical going, oh, now I'm just going to be a conservative, you know, because I just don't, I don't, you know, I just don't. See, I think there, I think there's a, on the Venn diagram. I think that's a large portion, um, you know, and I so I I don't know, I don't know, I just I just don't I don't see it, I don't see it that way. I, I I like the question. I think it's an, an intelligent question, and it certainly stimulates my brain. But I don't necessarily know that I think that that's what's going on. And maybe the uh, person who wrote that in would then uh, point out that I mistook the question. But um, that's that's not where uh, that's not where I see things. All right, we have uh, done about ninety minutes of questions from the audience, I believe, and um, and I don't want to keep Gangster Pete any longer. Uh, you are always welcome to send questions in any time. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. It's questions from the audience. Tim McKernan and Gangster Pete with you. Thank you to TheHomeLoanExpert.com. Ryan Kelly, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at EvergreenSTL.com. And in addition, Design Air, heating and cooling online at DesignAirService.com. And James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency online at CarltonInsurance.net. For Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of The Tim McKernan Show live from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. 
New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.